Ephesians 4. I'll read verses 1 through 7, and then I'll pray, and then we'll work through the text together. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful that you have preserved for us the word of your truth. It's a mercy that we have it. And Lord, we come before you acknowledging this morning that without without it, we would be in darkness and with it. We continue to pray for the um, illumination of the Spirit to understand um, the truth of your word and how we are supposed to live in light of your word. And we believe that, Lord, you will guide us through this text this morning because it pleases you when your children walk by faith in humble and joyful obedience to what you say. And it is our delight to do so. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So obviously this is Ephesians, not Galatians, so I do need to begin by explaining why we're here in this text this morning and really how the next 10 weeks are going to unfold for us. Actually, uh, it, it will be 11 weeks if you count the missionary family that we'll be hosting in February. We're, we're, we're calling the next 10 weeks of our Sunday morning sermons, at least, a, a covenant renewal for Christ's fellowship. And that means a couple of things. I want to share them with you. It means that we're going to become more familiar with our church covenant, most basically. It means, more importantly that we're going to become even more familiar with those passages of Scripture that teach the realities that are contained in our church covenant. Third, it also means that we want to approach this new year with a renewed commitment and seriousness to what the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ accomplished for us and what his accomplishments for us imply for us in reference to God, first and foremost, in reference to each other and also in reference to our our world. And our hope is that by blocking out a small section of weeks at the beginning of this new year, that our unity will be more biblically strong, that our ministry toward others would become more Real in the sense of more spiritual and more spiritual in the sense of more Christ-centered. So you and I investing in each other through the word and through prayer out of a sincere desire to see each other conform to the image of Christ. So biblical unity, sanctifying relationships because they are Christ-centered and Bible-based and prayer-saturated, And our third hope 
is for a more effective outreach through our church this year. And I, and I will say, um, praise God, that I think in a number of ways we took some pretty big steps in all three of these areas last year, but God help us to keep pressing on. So let me just get a little bit informal for a bit, brothers and sisters. If you're, if you're anything like me, or if your experience, uh, probably more accurately to put it, has been anything like mine, Christ Fellowship was the first church that I had ever been part of that actually has its own church covenant. I remember at the beginning coming here and thinking, that's awesome. They actually have their own church covenant, and they read it together at members' meetings. So let me just ask this question. For how many of you is Christ Fellowship, the first church that you've been a part of, that either has its own church covenant or regularly and publicly reads the church covenant that they have? Hands. Uh, I was guessing about half, and it looks to be about half, if not a few more, either way. And especially if you came here from a broken or a breaking situation, the fact that we essentially recite vows to each other on a regular basis was at least at first an encouraging thing, right? I know it was for me. But, of course, then you attend here for a while, and you get to know people here, and you come back to reality, because we, like every other church, are a church full of problems, because we are a church full of sinners, both by nature and by choice. In reference to God, we are a church full of covenant breakers. And our covenant breaches are manifested in our sinful choices. And our sinful choices are often felt by each other, if not directly through personal offenses, through heartbreak, as life after life is just flushed and wasted in the bondage of sin. So you may have thought it was an incredible thing, or... An encouraging thing or a refreshing thing at bare minimum that we have a church covenant and read it regularly together, but then you spend some time here and you're reminded that while it may be an incredible thing or an encouraging thing or a refreshing thing to you that we have a church covenant and that we read it together regularly and publicly, it's ultimately nothing more than a vain formality if what we have on paper and recite to each other isn't being lived out by those of us who belong here and recite these words, both before God and before each other. Let me ask this question. And I want to make my motive clear before I ask. I'm not trying to impose guilt on anyone here for how you answer this question, and I'm saying that knowing full well that it would be really easy to do so. So I'll just say from the beginning here that my answer to these two questions that I'm about to ask you, my personal answer is nope, not me. So you need to know that at the outset, and and I'm going to start big. How many of you have our church covenant memorized? Anyone? Didn't think so. 
not surprising. And again, I say we're going to start big, and we, we don't even necessarily expect you to have it memorized. Although I hope that over the years, our church covenant has become more familiar to you. Again, my answer to that question is nope, not memorized. Not for me, at least. You? So let's lower the bar some. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands for this one because I don't want to put you in some weird humility, pride, quandary just in case you would somehow answer this in the affirmative. How many of you have intentionally accessed our church covenant in your own private time out of concern over your personal faithfulness to your vows at Christ Fellowship? So in the quiet of your personal contemplations in your own time. Again, I'm I'm asking these questions to provoke your thinking and establish, hopefully, the timeliness and the need for this just short sermon series, more than I'm trying to impose guilt on you for not being able to answer these questions in the affirmative. The truth is, again, I can't say it enough, I am not able to answer these questions in the affirmative. I do not have our church covenant memorized, nor do I really intend to. Nor do I access it in the quietness of my evenings or early mornings out of a concern that I'm being unfaithful. I do access the document somewhat regularly, but it's for business purposes, not reflective or devotional purposes, and that's not what I'm talking about this morning. And I'm guessing that maybe... Maybe one or two of you, maybe a small minority of you, have at one time in some particularly introspective moment of life perhaps accessed or at least stumbled across the church covenant just to see how you're doing. But it wouldn't surprise me if None of us have ever, and hear me out, I'm not even necessarily suggesting that you ought to walk around with a copy of it in your back pocket. My point with these questions is, inevitably for all of us, the novelty of a church covenant wears off when the biblical realities in the covenant are not on regular display. And not only not on regular display, but never even thought about or talked about or even considered other than once a quarter at the end of our members' meetings. And the novelty probably wore off for you the first time that you felt neglected here, or your feelings got hurt, or you were left out of something, or you were just plain forgotten, or you were intentionally shunned, or you were sinned against or slighted, or you observed failures in your leaders or those people that you trust here. And in that moment, you were reminded that Christ Fellowship, like every other church, is a church full of redeemed sinners. So, redeemed, yes, but sinners who, just like you, continue to live in bodies of flesh, and therefore prone to weakness and susceptible to all kinds of temptations and constantly allured by sins of all shapes and sizes, living in this cursed world that never stops unleashing its temptations and allurements toward us and against us. 
So, the point of a church covenant then is not to use it to beat people up over their failures, but to continually remind each other of the gospel and the gospel's implications for us in reference to God himself, first and foremost, in light of the finished work of Christ and in reference to each other. So the, the fact that we have and recite a church covenant, while it may be new or novel or refreshing or encouraging to you, is pointless if it's nothing more than a periodic, sentimental recitation at a quarterly members meeting. And while we will not be passing out wallet size copies of our church covenant this morning so that you have it with you wherever you go, Chris and I both realize that, that we can do a better job at keeping our church covenant in front of us because the charges that are in it are scripture born and they're blood bought and they're Holy Spirit empowered for our personal good and for our corporate health. So the way that we've laid out the next 10 weeks is to work through the 10 points in the vow section of the covenant by teaching from the passages of scripture from which those vows come. For instance, this week, I'm preaching from Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 7, because that is the text, or at least one of the texts, that teaches the truth, that solicits the response that's contained in the first bullet point of our church covenant. So hear me out. We are preaching the scriptures these 10 weeks, we're not preaching our church covenant, but we are preaching intentionally from those passages out of which our church covenant was born as an effort at the start of a new year to magnify the work of Jesus and to recognize that his finished work has a lifetime of implications for the church and our ongoing work in his name. So we want to renew our scripture-born, blood-bought, Holy Spirit-empowered vows and in a minute, we're going to read through the church covenant together, at least we were going to, so I'm going to read it to you. And then we'll look to Ephesians 4, 1 through 7, because that's the text of scripture that, that gives us almost word for word our first vow. But before we do, um, I, want, I want to go back for a minute, because there are two more questions that I'm curious to ask, and I'm going to ask them both kind of at the same time, because I don't want to take any more time than I already have introducing the series, and I invite your response to be public, hopefully for our encouragement, if your response is what I expect it to be. So we asked how many have the covenant memorized, knowing that the answer would be nobody. We asked how many have accessed the covenant in the quietness of a particularly introspective moment out of a concern that you're being an unfaithful church member or an unfaithful brother or a sister to your brothers and sisters here, and we left that response to the private on purpose. But I wonder, how many of you have referenced the church covenant to either confront or encourage a brother or a sister here out of concern for them? Or on the other hand, have been confronted by a brother or a sister here out of their concern for you? And I'm mentioning both sides at once to, again, free you from this weird humility-pride quandary. I'm asking this on purpose publicly because I know this happens in both directions. It's happened a number of times. 
And when it's done in love and humility and is hopefully bathed in prayer, we are incredibly encouraged by it, and you should be too. That's what it's here for, not to beat each other up with it in an effort to make people into our own image and preferences, but to put into words what we believe Scripture teaches that God expects of us as a body in reference to him and in reference to each other in light of the finished work of Christ as we press on until Jesus comes. So, how many? Anyone? I know there are some. Levi. It's the only one willing to admit it. Praise God. Well, that kind of introduces where we're going. It it just always seems fitting or natural to start a new year with a fresh study. Last year was the only year we haven't, but this is our effort this year, and we just trust and we pray that God is going to use it to grant us a 2016 that's progressing as a church toward health and toward unity. And with that, let me... Let me remind you of the words of our church covenant. Having been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in Jesus Christ and to confess him as Lord, and having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God in this assembly solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. Thus, as a member of Christ's fellowship church and relying upon the grace of God, we make the following commitments to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We will, with the help of God, seek to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by devoting ourselves to the study of Scripture and to prayer both privately and corporately. We will walk with our brothers and sisters in love, exercising an affectionate care and watchfulness over our fellow believers and promoting holiness, discipleship, worship, and sound doctrine. We will rejoice at the blessings of others. We will, as God enables us, care for our brothers and sisters in distress, sickness, and poverty. We will faithfully and lovingly admonish anyone whose practice of sin requires it. We agree with the church's doctrine and practice of church discipline and will support the efforts and direction of the church to call a sinning member to repentance. We will not neglect our meeting together in corporate worship and small group settings. We will support the ministry of the church through our time, effort, and money. We will promote marriage as a reflection of Christ's relationship with his church and bring up any children God gives us in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We will seek to advance the proclamation of the gospel through those relationships God affords us and our families, workplaces, and communities. We will support through prayer and giving those whom the church sends to proclaim the gospel beyond our locale. We will, when we move from this place, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the teaching of God's word. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Listen again to the first bullet point in the vow section of our covenant. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, listen again to Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In our text this morning, there are three important links that I want us to see, and in seeing them, I'm hoping a few links in your understanding are made, a few gaps perhaps filled a right order, perhaps, established so that we might process and fulfill this expectation of unity in the church. And we're going to rehearse them in order because order here is very important. So link number one. Unity in the church is an accomplishment of Jesus' death and resurrection. Unity in the church is an accomplishment of Jesus' death and resurrection. That is not all it is, but it certainly is not less than that and cannot be processed rightly apart from that. So perhaps a more complete sentence would be, unity in the church is the Father's design for the church, the Son's accomplishment for the church, and the Spirit's ongoing work in the church. But we focus on the work of the Son because there is no other basis for our unity than Jesus' death and resurrection. It's all over both sides of this Ephesians 4 text as well as in the text itself. So, going backwards, in the first three chapters, here's the presentation. It is a loving Father pursuing the eternal praise of His glorious grace This father who chooses us as a people for himself and as a bride for his son. This father who sends his son into the world to redeem us through the shedding of his blood and his death on the cross. But it is also the son whose love for his bride and whose joyful submission to his father comes into the world and accomplishes our redemption in full when he dies on the cross and rises from the grave. It's also the Spirit who joyfully and obediently applies the finished work of the Son to not only make the redemption of Christ a reality in our lives, but what that primarily means is that at the summons of the Father, through the preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit regenerates our dead and lifeless hearts to life and faith in Christ. And not only life and faith in Christ, but union with Him. Us as his bride, him as our husband, us as his body, him as our head, us as adopted sons and daughters of the Father and joint heirs with Christ the Son. In our text this morning, it's on display in this short confession that is verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. That belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. And don't miss what immediately precedes that confession. It is a charge to humbly and gently walk worthy of our calling to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That the charge is to the church is clear from his one body reference. 
That the charge is fulfilled in the power of the Spirit is clear from His one Spirit reference. That the charge is from the Father and is full of hope in what is to come is clear in Paul's words, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. In verse 6, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That faith in the work of the Son is the basis of it all is clear in verse 5. One Lord and one faith. One baptism. On the other side of our text, it is the risen Christ who gifts the church, as in every church, as in this church, with everything it needs to maintain the unity that the Father designed and the Son accomplished and the Spirit applied to the church. And that preempts this second link that I want you to take note of. Link number one. Unity is the finished work of the Son. Link number two, our calling is to maintain unity, not create it. Brothers and sisters, that should be a liberating reality. Because unity was the design of the Father in eternity past. That his elect would become his adopted sons and daughters through the substitutionary death and triumphant resurrection of Christ. Which unity the Holy Spirit made a reality and makes a reality when he regenerates sinners from death to life and from unbelief to faith in Christ and unites them in one body to Christ the church's head as one bride to Christ the church's husband. And because the Holy Spirit indwells the church and relentlessly seeks the glory of Christ in the church as the church functions as one body in submission and praise of its head. In other words, because the eternal design of the Father in our redemption is a reality through the work of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit as a taste of what is eternally to come because of all of that, our calling, our charge as the church, is not to create unity, but to maintain it. And that changes a lot. It doesn't mean maintaining unity is any easier than creating it, because we are sinners, living in bodies of flesh, assaulted by endless temptations that each seek in their own way to destroy the unity of the church to Christ because in destroying the unity of the church to Christ the accomplishments of Christ which are the basis of the church's unity are blurred and obscured and even subject to mockery in our world so it doesn't mean it's going to be any easier but it does mean we're not left to guess the basis of our unity or how we maintain it. So how do we maintain the unity purchased in the blood of the Son and applied by the Spirit? Well, we certainly don't want to overlook the important doctrinal component. That is verses 5 and 6. We've already talked about it, but I'll share it again. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all 
and in all, and in short, what we believe, as in doctrine, about the being of God, his plan for the world, his work to fulfill his plan for the world, and our role as his redeemed people in the world is urgent. It's important. It is non-negotiable. We must be united in our corporate grasp of the being of God. And the person and the work of the Son and our role as his redeemed people in the world. And we must be united in our understanding that there is a lot left out of the Ephesians 4, verses 5 and 6, confession. There's a lot left out, and what that means is the stuff that's left out ought not to destroy the unity that is grounded in the being of God and the person and work of the Son and our role in the world. Which preempts our third and final link this morning. Link number one, unity in the church is the Father's design on the basis of the finished work of the Son and a work of the Spirit for the praise of God's glorious grace. Link number two, our calling is to maintain the unity that the Father designed, the Son accomplished, and the Spirit made a reality when he regenerated our dead hearts and united us in faith as one body to Christ our head and our husband. And our unity is doctrinally based, and it's maintained by the power of the Spirit through the hard work of the church, which is link number three. We fulfill our charge to maintain unity through hard work and faith. We fulfill our charge to maintain the unity designed by the Father, accomplished by the Son, and made a reality by the Spirit, on the one hand, through ongoing faith in the finished work of the Son. That point should be obvious. It is the keep believing the gospel that's been entrusted to us that we'd say over and over and over again here. And we could even throw in one more obvious point that even our ongoing belief in the gospel is by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think we understand that here. The emphasis of this passage that I want to bring out as we close this morning in light of our covenant vow to, quote, work and pray for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace is that the kind of unity that will display to the world the finished work of Christ for the church is maintained through the faithful but hard, hard work and prayer of the church in dependence on the Spirit of God. And all I should need to do is throw out church name after church name after church name which churches have had solid doctrinal statements. They either split or dissolved or continued to exist in disunity to the contradiction of the reality of a church 
bought by the blood of Christ and united to Christ, the church's head and husband, all I should need to do is recite any one of the thousands to remind you that doctrinal belief outside the hard, faithful work of sinners to resist Everything in the flesh and in the world seeking to disrupt unity and blur the image of Christ and make ineffective the preaching of the gospel through the church and the faithful dependence on the spirit. You should just need to cite any one of them to remind you that doctrinal adherence, while important and urgent and non-negotiable, is not enough. Just in case you think that statement is overblown or not scripturally based, listen again to the charge here. This is preceding the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, confession. What does Paul say? He says, walk worthy with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another with love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And brothers and sisters, that does not sound like passivity to me. Nor does it sound like adherence to a list of doctrines alone. It sounds like the blood-bought, spirit-wrought, fatherly design and personal desire of every truly born-again member of every true church. And just in case you're still tempted to buckle or freeze or put up red flags at the issuing of a command and wrongly call it legalism, verse 7 strips us further of our own ability to fulfill this work on our own. When it says the risen Christ has personally measured out the grace necessary for each member of each church to faithfully keep striving to maintain unity in the church around the Father's designs and the Son's accomplishments in the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Verse 7 says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's. So my closing question to you is, will you keep your charge? Will you keep your vow to work and to pray for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace at Christ Fellowship this year? Will you keep your charge to keep it by keeping the gospel of the finished work of Christ central in your own life and striving to keep it central in the lives of your brothers and your sisters here as well. Knowing full well that we are assaulted relentlessly every day by temptations that have as their greatest goal the destroying of unity and the blurring of the gospel. So notice, I am not calling us to do more work as in more stuff. Although, I hope 
and implication of greater unity is more work in Jesus' name. I think that would be natural. But I am primarily calling us to greater confidence in the gospel of the finished work of Christ that manifests itself in your life by greater desire to function as a body with your other brothers and sisters in Christ here. And us together as one body in coordination with our head, who is also our husband, who is the Christ. And he is worthy of this Christ fellowship. So will you keep your vow? It is a covenantal charge, but it's also a biblical command. So it's not so much a question as a charge. You must. And I am confident that you will, because it is the Father's design. And it is the Son's finished work. And it is the relentless pursuit of the Holy Spirit until Jesus comes. So may God help us on our way in 2016 toward greater unity, which means more biblical unity. Unity in our ongoing faith in the finished work of the Son. Ongoing dependence on the Spirit to keep believing and to keep striving by His grace to display and praise our God's magnificent grace. Join me in prayer as we close. Our Father, we give you thanksgiving once again that we're even here talking about this stuff. Lord, that you have assembled this group of people here this morning. It stuns me every week when it happens. And it alone is a confirmation of the reality that the same Holy Spirit performed the same miraculous work and united us to the same Christ. Because outside of that miracle, there is no sense in this complexion of people gathering together here this morning, nor any church on planet earth we would all happily do our own thing go our own ways without any concern for the kind of things that are being said or taking place here this morning so that we are here hungry for this striving for this is a testament to the glorious grace that we our hoping and praying is on greater display through Christ Fellowship this year. And in that we've said what we've said. We submit it gladly to you knowing that you will be pleased to do incredible, miraculous, unforeseen things through it. So we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>